0: Hey everyone, welcome to Polaris Christian Church, the greatest church in the Brunswick Plaza. (laughs) Oh yes, walk up and down the sidewalk, you will not find a better church than the one you're sitting in right here. We're cocky. Hey, Ford Windstar, uh, lights on, Ford Windstar out in the parking lot, lights on, just got that announcement, let's see who it is who is it? (laughs) Um, So I'm excited this morning we're going to start a long sermon series, the most in-depth Bible study I've ever done via sermon series, talking through the Sermon on the Mount. These are chapters 5 through 7 in the book of Matthew. And I feel like this fits exactly where we are headed. We want to be generous followers of Jesus. That's where we want to head as a church. And to get there, we want to build around four core principles. We want you to love God and connect with Him on the deepest levels. We want you to live in community with other followers of Jesus who are pursuing that kind of life. Incidentally... There are between 60 to 70% of our adults at Polaris in a typical adult crowd involved in some kind of group life. Um, just in, incredible. It uh, shows me that you really do value living together in community. And if any of you are interested in that kind of, 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 um, of connection and community with other followers of Jesus, um, let me know. We'll get you plugged into to one of our small groups or, or to group life at Polaris uh, I want you to grow practically by applying God's Word to your life and I want you to give generously, joining God and His work around you throughout the day, joining Him with your experiences and your time and your friendship and your resources, whatever it is that God might ask of you. So that's love, live, grow, give. And, and those are the four principles we really want to, to build as we try to be generous followers of Jesus. And, and if we look into the Sermon on the Mount, over the next three to three and a half months, and, and actually try to live out as followers, because remember, it's, remember, kind of like what Leanne said, we aren't just believers, we want to be followers, we want to take the teachings of Jesus, and actually do them, that's what makes us followers of Jesus, and if we approach the Sermon on the Mount like that, over the next few months, we are going to be loving, living, growing, and giving machines, as followers of Jesus, so we're going to do that, we're going to kick that off, First, I want to pray. (coughs) Father, thank you for your availability. We come to you searching for your kingdom. And so as we approach the words and teachings in life of your son, our hearts are open. Nudge us where we need to be nudged. Boot us where we need to be booted. And um, and show us what you want us to do differently. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start there. If you don't have a Bible or if you forgot yours... Um, there are some blue Bibles in the back there. Um, as you walk into the cinema, Brian has some if you just want to flag him down. Uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible or if you don't have one that you enjoy reading, like if your Bible has too many these, thys, and nows for your comfort zone, nothing wrong with that, but if you're not comfortable with that, feel free to keep those blue Bibles. They're a gift from us uh, and, and use them. So, so while you're turning to Matthew chapter 5... I'll give you a little background on, on this, this famous sermon or teaching time from Jesus. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus kind of announcing the coming of his kingdom. The coming of the kingdom of God. He's announcing the way of life according to God. And, and the Jews, specifically, had been waiting for many, many centuries... For this kingdom to come. But they had a different idea of what the kingdom of God would be. The Jews were under Roman oppression. The Romans were allowing them to kind of do their thing as long as they didn't get out of line. Now this was, this was, this was frustrating for the Jewish people. Very proud people who believed they were the chosen people of the one true God of the universe... And now these pagan Romans who believed a thousand things about a thousand gods were telling them what they could and couldn't do. Very frustrating. But their scriptures, the Old Testament, spoke of a coming Messiah who would bring about the eternal kingdom of God. He would bring it to the earth and establish it and it would never end. So they're praying and they're waiting and they're hoping for the Messiah to come to bring this kingdom, to reestablish Israel as the eternal kingdom of God. He would overthrow the Roman government and, and, and bring this kingdom. But what Jesus did was, as the Messiah, he brought a different kingdom. And it was an eternal kingdom that will never end. What he brought was the character of God to the earth. And whoever would commit to through faith bringing this way of life to the world through their own actions was now a part of this kingdom of God and could be a part of this kingdom of God. So Jesus does something kind of upside down and shocking. Instead of a real geographical kingdom, he brings a way of life as the kingdom of God. Now in Jesus' day and time... If I were to take a few minutes to to paint the the landscape of, of, of the religious scene. There were these religious leaders. They were the spiritual and religious elite. Or at least they thought they were. They were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the councils. These were the people who did the right things and said the right things. And knew the Bible inside and out. And... And they were very pious and, and, and very affluent and very influential. And and they were like the haves of the world. They had it all. And they were the religious elite. And then there were the have-nots, the everybody else's, the poor, the destitute. Those on the margins of society that that didn't do all the right things and have all the right things. And it was understood in Jesus' day and time that when you were affluent and when you had influence, it was because God was blessing you. So it was naturally assumed that these people, these Pharisees and scribes who thought they were the spiritual elite, elite, were because God had given them affluence. And people on the margins of society were just seen as kind of forgotten about by God and shoved away and cursed and not blessed. And they were obviously far from God. That was just kind of the judgmental understanding of religion back then. And it was also built around many rituals... You had to do the right things and say the right things and not say the wrong things and not be with the wrong people and be with the right people and go to the right places at the right times and do the right things at the right times and not do the wrong things at the wrong times. It was all about ritual and following rules. Now, fortunately, we're off that now. You know, Christians are never seen as judgmental or legalistic or Or, you know, all about rituals or sit, stay and kneel or anything like that. Actually, there's a lot that we can still learn from, from Jesus' teachings. (coughs) So I'm going to start out in Matthew 4, having that overview of, of the religious situation. And I kind of cringe whenever I use the word religion, but that's essentially what it was. It was, it was kind of a, a a collection of, of, of rituals and things like that. And I'm going to start in 4.23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, Paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So we have this scene before Jesus delivers this Sermon on the Mount where large crowds are following him. I'm going to take a minute to talk about the crowds because we get their location. They're from Jerusalem, they're from Judea, they're from the Decapolis. Now in Jerusalem, and Judea, you had your typical Jewish crowd who saw Jesus as the rabbi. He was one who taught their current way of life. They studied and believed in the Old Testament. That was all the Bible that they had at the time. And they understood who God was as the creator of the universe, the the God that Jesus called Father. These were the Jews. And there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees in those crowds that day. And there was that understanding of the spiritual haves and have-nots and all of that tradition that I talked about. But then you also have the Decapolis. And this is interesting because the Decapolis meant ten cities. And it was an area that was kind of founded uh, by Alexander the Great. So this was a Greek area and 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 the Greeks were wild they they made you know New Orleans look like Branson, Missouri. Uh, they did things that were just just crazy and they they believed in all kinds of gods and had all sorts of crazy ways to follow him and and they didn't follow God, they didn't follow the scriptures. they were colorfully. Sinful people. And if you think about the culture that I described, naturally the Jews would have looked down heavily on people from the Decapolis, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees that thought they had it all figured out. So there's this large and spiritually diverse and economically diverse group of people who were following Jesus. And the Bible says that he sees this crowd. And in chapter 5, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. Typical rabbi thing to do. You sit down in order to teach authoritatively. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's got this huge crowd and the first thing he says when he opens his mouth, and actually the Greek emphasizes that, and he opened his mouth and says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm going to read a few of the, uh, a few more Beatitudes, but we're going to spend our time on that one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It um, goes on to say, Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, uh, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown, shown mercy, the pure in heart, on and on. And I read the rest of those so you have a little bit of context here. <coughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's, his, that's how he kicks off the Sermon on the Mount, his announcement. And that's what this is, is an announcement. Most world-class scholars agree that what Jesus does here at the beginning with what are called the Beatitudes, which simply means like the blessings, is he's announcing the availability of the kingdom of God. But right away with his first statement, he throws confusion into the crowd and he flips things upside down. And this is actually a very controversial statement, thinking through the religious climate of Jesus' day. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, here's what we do. We see pure in heart and hunger and thirst for righteousness in that context. And then the word blessed... And the promise of the kingdom of God. And we assume that what Jesus must be doing here is giving a list of good qualities. So there must be something good about poor in spirit. Because Jesus is telling the poor in spirit that they're blessed. And it leads us off into all kinds of possible directions as to what that might mean. let me talk about the Greek in which it was originally written. There are basically five Greek words there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's what it means. The poor, meaning bankrupt, absence of wealth, absence of resource, poverty, In spirit, meaning spiritually speaking. So what Jesus is saying here is blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those living in spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who have done nothing to earn a blessing. The sum total of everything they have done in their spiritual lives is zero, And they are blessed. And theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is the essence of the Greek. Now, that's not how our mind works. Just not. Because that doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus be offering a blessing to spiritual zeros? To people who are far from God? To people from the Decapolis? To those on the margins of society? Why is he saying that those people are blessed and that theirs is the kingdom of God. And we wrestle with that. In fact, if you have a blue Bible, um, that's the New Living Translation. And I'm going to rip on the New Living Translation for a minute, but understand that I, I, I voted for it. It was my decision that, that it's in here. I, I like it. It does a great job with, 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 with coming up with 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 good translations to help you understand uh, what's being said. But in this particular instance, they say, God blesses those who are poor and who realize they need Him. Okay, so they take a five-Greek word sentence and turn it into like a dozen words because what they're trying to do is apply our normal take on that kind of a thing. God blesses those who are poor and know they need him. Because we wrestle with what Jesus could possibly mean with blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Now in that version, there's an asterisk there. Okay, there's that long sentence with an asterisk on the end, or poor in spirit. (laughs) So they know that, that that they're taking a leap here. Here's what they're doing. They're trying to find a spiritual quality to go with blessing. But Jesus could have said, blessed are the spiritually humble, or something like that. But if you are spiritual enough to know that you need God, then you are not spiritually bankrupt, and that is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is starting off his announcement of the kingdom saying, even if you have never done anything to please God in any way and you are spiritually bankrupt, you are blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. It is available to even you. And then he goes on with the other Beatitudes that we'll talk about next week to kind of paint a picture of the spiritual spectrum whether you're a spiritual zero or whether you're a martyr, the kingdom of heaven of God is available to you. Now, can you imagine what that message would have done? That instant, how that one sentence at the beginning of his sermon, of his teaching time, would have affected the crowd that day. You got the Pharisees, Who just wouldn't have been thinking like that at all. Because they looked far down on people. So to say that God's kingdom was available to spiritual nobodies. That wouldn't have resonated at all. And then you have people from the Decapolis who know what kind of crowd they're in. They're in Jew territory now. And they're being looked down on like none other. And they know that. And then this revolutionary rabbi who is so connected with God that he can heal the crowds is telling them, you're a spiritual zero in our eyes. You're blessed and the kingdom of God is available to you. And how does that make you feel this morning? To know that even if you're at the point where you look at your spiritual life and say, I have nothing. I am a spiritual zero. Take score of everything that I have done to please God on my life, and it is a zero. I am spiritually bankrupt, and Jesus looks at you, and he says, blessed are you, even in spiritual bankruptcy, the kingdom of heaven is available to you. Because the kingdom is a lifestyle. And it can be yours today. I think about the temple of the Old Testament and how it was how it was built. There were your outer courts and your inner courts and your holy place and your most holy place and your holy. It was like this this layers of separation, and there were only certain groups of people that could get on to the next layer, uh, to the symbolic presence of God in the holy of holies. And oftentimes we feel these layers, don't we? Where we just feel at, at a distance from God based on where we're, how we're living our life. Jesus essentially says, hey, you're a spiritual zero. You're blessed. It's a good day for you because the door to the presence of God is right behind you. You're a spiritual zero. Here you go. It's the very kingdom of God. Now, we struggle with that because we want to know the why. How could God be like that? Why? Why does Jesus come and say, blessed are those who have no spirituality, theirs is the kingdom of God. Why would God offer his kingdom to people who have never done a thing to try to find him? And the answer to that is because that's just who he is. That's just the way it is, it's the, the token mom answer. Because I'm the mom, that's why. Because he's the God, that's why. One of my favorite passages in scripture, absolute favorite imagery, found in Luke chapter 14. And you can turn if you want to, it's going to be on the screen. Um, just, just incredible. Uh, Jesus is, the, the, the scene, I just love it. Okay, Jesus is sitting at dinner with these Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders, with the spiritual elite who think they know it all and got it all, and they are sucking up. and 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 it's just you, you know you you're around these people that, that just kiss up. You're at that you're at a, uh, like a cocktail party or something with people from work, and there's that you know kissing up going on, and and they're posturing. And this guy looks at Jesus, this this religious leader, spiritually elite, looks at Jesus and says. Won't it be a blessed thing to sit at the great table of the kingdom of God? And I picture this, you know, he's so spiritual that he says God in like three syllables. God, you know, that that, that draws it out. And he thinks he's got it all together. And he's just assuming that he's going to be dining at the banquet table with the Messiah in the kingdom of God. And Jesus breaks out into this story. And he says... There's a man who, who throws a banquet. Why does he throw a banquet? I don't know. doesn't say, because that's just what he does. He's a guy who throws banquets. And he's excited about his banquet. Now, this guy represents God. And, and he throws a banquet, and he has his servants go out and try to find, uh, give some invites. And the first guy uh, says, well, you know, I can't make it. I just bought a field, and I have to go inspect the field. Uh, makes sense, but but he can't make it. Goes to the next guy and says, "I just bought a team of oxen. I I can't I can't come because I have to I have to check out these these oxen, make sure they have you know four legs and can walk in the same direction. I don't know what you have to do to check out a team of oxen, but he's got to go do that. He can't make it. Then then the next guy says, Dude, I just got married, and and I went out with the guys the other night and figure skating's on, and my wife's all like.'" I only have figure skating to watch every four years, so we are staying home and we are watching figure skating. I can't watch the calves. It's in, it's in there. And, and um, uh, he can't make it because he was just married. And the, the servants go back to the, to the man throwing the banquet and, and say, Nobody can come. And it says he's furious. So he says, well, go into the, go into the streets and get the, the crippled, the poor, the blind, the lame, the lepers. Go to the margins of society. Open invite. And they do that. And they come back to him and they say, you know, we got a lot of people here, but, but, the, but there's still room. Well, then go to the dumpsters, to Skid Row, to the back alleys, behind the hedges. You know, go wherever and bring in more and more people. Jesus is just saying here, that's just the way God is. Why does the holy God of the universe love the spiritual zeros like me? Why does he want me in his presence? Why does he want you in his presence? He just does. That's just the way it is. And so Jesus, at the start of his sermon, is announcing... Blessed are you, even if you don't have a spiritual dollar to your name, you're blessed because yours is God's way of life. Yours is life with God. Now, we're going to approach this stuff as followers of Jesus. want to be followers of jesus so what does that mean for us if i'm going to follow jesus and i look at his teaching here what might that mean for me as his follower (coughs) well what we see jesus doing here is announcing god's kingdom he is announcing the availability of God's kingdom. That's what Jesus does, and he does it time and time again through his ministry. Jesus announces the availability of God's kingdom. So if I am a follower of Jesus, it means I live like He lived, I do I lived, I do what He does, that means that I need to be announcing the availability. Of God's kingdom and if you say you are a follower of Jesus then you need to be announcing the availability of God's kingdom now what do I mean by that what does that mean well let me tell you what I don't think it means I don't think it means you know on the RTA driving to Cleveland sitting next to somebody you're going to work And you're thinking, oh, man, i got to announce the availability of God's kingdom. Um, And then then when you pull up to East 9th and you know the ride's almost over, um, I just want you to know that, that, that God's kingdom is available to you. You look like a spiritual zero. Okay? All you're doing there is announcing that you're a weirdo to somebody who doesn't know you. You're probably creating distance between the person and God's kingdom. I'm looking at what Jesus did at the end of chapter 4. And I think there's a reason that, that Matthew goes out of his way to tell us what Jesus had done for those crowds of people before the sermon. He had been through their town. He went where they lived. And he healed their children. And he healed their parents and their their brothers and sisters and friends, and he he showed them, he invested in them, and he showed them that he was truly available to them. And once he had met the needs, because you know you have a, a sick child or a sick parent or a sick spouse, there is nothing you need more than for them to be cared about or even healed. And when Jesus walked into those towns like the Decapolis, where I doubt many Jews spent a lot of time, a lot of rabbis spent a lot of time, and actually cared for their deepest needs, he showed them he was available. And then to say, to start it off, hey, God's kingdom is available to you. The message matched. And I'm sure they were very receptive to that. So if we're going to announce God's kingdom, what we first need to do is show people that we are available. So as we get to know those people that God has planted in our lives, and we show them that we care, and that we're available, and we wait for that moment when we can link it with the availability of God's kingdom and a relationship with God, then the messages match. I know what it means for me. My wife and I just moved into a new neighborhood in November right before hibernation season, so we don't know many of the people around us. But if I'm going to follow Jesus, it means that I need to be announcing God's availability as I go. So I need to start building relationships intentionally with people in my new neighborhood. I need to invest in their lives and care where I can care and help where I can help and show them my availability. When Spencer gets into T-ball here in the next couple of months, I need to be investing in the children, and in the families at T-Ball. And then in some of those friendships, once I've been able to say, hey, I care through my actions, God will open the door, and then it's up to me to somehow show them that God is available to them as well. And that could come from an invite to church. That could come from some kind of a deeper spiritual conversation. But if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm doing those things. And for you, what it might mean is taking some time to think about the place that that God has planted you, whether it be work or in your neighborhood or, or friends or family members. Who needs to hear that God's kingdom is available? And then, as a follower of Jesus, you invest in those lives so that they see God's availability through your availability, maybe even before they hear about it. And then you commit to following through. Now, I want to close with with just kind of talking to those of you who might be far from God this morning. Maybe you feel like you're a million miles away from God. And I hope that you will hear Jesus' words and realize that He looks at you when He says them as well. Even the most spiritually destitute individual in this room today is blessed, and God's kingdom is available to even you. God has brought His way of life, it is communicated. Through the teachings of his son Jesus. We're going to be talking about that. Over the coming weeks. And he even went so far as to pay the price. For everything in your life. That has separated you from him. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross. um, And all of your sins. Were there with him when he died. And through faith. In that sacrifice. And. And. The commitment to follow the ways of the new life that Jesus brought. God's kingdom is available to you. Think about that this week. Next week we're going to have a time of invitation. If if some of you are ready to make that first step, be thinking about that. We'll do that next week. Um, again... Jesus is bringing God's kingdom, and it is available to us, and, and I'm just excited about, about what God has in store for, for our church, for your families, for your walk with God uh, as, we, as we walk through these things.